when I joined, it was because I saw the vision of the product we were building then, which was actually that non-smoking tobacco. We had this solution for taking tobacco, using it as a non-smoking crop, using it as a non-food crop to replace corn and soy to make green chemicals that would then, you know, be good for the environment. I, I like the story because I was, you know, I'd met one of the recent investors in the company who's our chairman. And I was looking at it from the perspective of how this could be beneficial to, you know, the African continent, because I'm originally from South Africa, of course, and we're heavily dependent as a continent for importing all of our fuel specifically. So I thought, you know, Southern Africa, historically huge in tobacco, it's a crop massively in decline, grows in area where in areas where you wouldn't normally do food crops. Um, why don't we do something good with it instead of, you know, have all the negatives associated with smoking? So it it it, it was a great story and compelling to me. I thought we'd be solving this huge problem. And little did I know in my naivete back then that we'd be building a solution that, you know, didn't quite have a product market fit in the sense that People were very wedded to corn and to soy, um, and there are specific reasons for that. No one really cared enough to move off food crops, but equally there were a couple of you know really noticeable market failures um, in our industry, and oil had come down dramatically in price. So people weren't actually that concerned about displacing, you know oil as much as they were in the past you know when oil's cheap people are quite happy to spend on it or at least that was the case about 10 years ago i think we're definitely seeing sustainability become more and more of an agenda and i, I think that will hopefully continue i think we're seeing enough out there in the world that's making people start to realize that the climate has fundamentally shifted um but uh, i mean I thought this was going to be pretty quick and then I'd be taking the solution back to, you know, Southern Africa. Instead, we ended up needing to figure out something else that we could do with our technology. And that's where we came up with the fact that, ironically, the technology we developed to extract the chemicals out of the tobacco was the most valuable piece. And once we realized that, we looked at how that could be applied we looked at all sorts of applications like <clears throat> green jet fuels, um, delamination of multi-layer packaging. And eventually someone said to us, can you run textiles? Now we, we ran this, we got some pretty promising results and we went back to them and we said, okay, it does appear that this works. You know, does anyone care? <laughs> because having been burnt once, we definitely wanted to know whether anyone would care. And we started Googling frantically. Turned out we just happened to hit the market at exactly the right time. People did care and it was becoming much more of a hot topic. And so suddenly we were in the right space at the right time with a solution that worked. So we knew we had something when people started cold calling us, you know, Instead of tumbleweeds, our phone rang. So
So that was always a, a positive sign. So yeah, that's how I ended up at Cirque and that's how I ended up being there in quite so long because it's been, you know, an almost 10 year journey at this point. Yeah, it's a great market validation is instead of reaching out and getting crickets that you actually have people calling you and saying, hey, I heard you do this. I mean, that's a that's a great signal to pick up on. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with someone just yesterday and they were saying how a collaboration with them could amplify our message and get us into brands. And I was like, <laughs> no, actually, my biggest challenge right now is telling the brands that they're going to have to wait as we commercialize the solution. My phone has not stopped ringing in four years. <laughs> so, That's a different kind of problem, isn't it? Different kind of problem. Good problem, yeah. a different kind of problem. And it does highlight one of the key issues, and that is the fact that people think that, you know, software, you can ramp it up like super quickly and this, there's this huge exponential ramp, ramp. You can roll it out, you know, super fast because people just have to copy or download the app. Whereas when you're building hard tech, these are big physical assets. These are, it's, you know, we're looking to replace a hundred million tons of virgin material with recycled material here. A hundred million tons. It's a huge problem. So when you look at it like that, and you think about what kind of factories and facilities you would need to build to do that, you start to realize that this will not be an overnight transition. Yeah. Do you think is the misunderstanding on the pace and the time and what's possible now and versus the short term, is it is it because we have people coming in from the SaaS world and investors and other talent kind of coming into this world or maybe, and they're used to these types of timelines where it is soft tech, right? Or or, or what would what's the reason for the misunderstanding on the timing aspect? Well, one hard tech tends to have a very different investment profile. So from an investor lens, you know, you've got longer time horizons. The only reason you would go after hard tech is because the addressable markets are so huge. I mean, why would you invest in nuclear fusion? It's going to take you billions and billions of dollars to test that out and validate it and things. But then you look on the other side and you're like, hey, the market is electricity demand for the world. <laughs> it's huge. So longer time horizons, much larger capex spend, all of these big things. So, you know, those are all things that you need to address. Then you get to the fact that on the other side, you've also got a situation where the brands and everyone has already committed and made claims about how fast they're going to transition. So this is the challenge where people have said, okay, this is how fast we're going to transition. This is what we're going to do. So they've already made these commitments, but the technologies don't actually do, you know, exist at the moment, which is problematic. When you're, uh, talking with people who are maybe outside the industry and you're explaining what it is you do for a living and what Cirque is like, how do you, how do you explain that to them? 
so I normally start by just saying, oh, we recycle textiles. People are like, really? And then I go, okay, what you don't realize is that fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world, but it really is. And so if we could transform that, we can make a big shift in, in you know, our sustainability. If you think about it, everyone wears clothes. Think about the sheer volume of clothes that we wear. It's, you know, insane. And then what you got to understand is that, you know, most garments in the US, for example, you wear it and it goes into landfill or incineration within one year. That's about 45% of all clothes get disposed of within the first year of their life. So you could just think about how much waste that is. And then, you know, that's not to mention all the chemicals that we use in our clothes, all of the water that we use, everything. And then people are like, oh, wow, I didn't realize it was such a big thing. And then the truly shocking statistics are things like, you are aware we use more plastic in our clothing than we do in all of the bottles that we, you know, water bottles and things like that. And I think that's a really eye-opening statistic for most people. That and explaining to people that their clothes are made of plastic and that it's the same plastic that's in water bottles is quite an eye-opener. And then explaining to them that, you know, all of this viscose and rayon and things that they that they wear as well is made from trees and that you chop down 200 million trees a year for clothing is also a, a pretty shocking, you know, eye-opening statistic for people. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can actually, um, you you can actually get it across when you can explain with concrete numbers like that, and people realize, oh wait, that makes a lot of sense. It helps paint the picture. But I mean, how do you even conceptualize a hundred million tons, like? What does that even look like to people? Yeah, I mean, that's a million Boeing 747s. Yeah, whenever you're discussing that, um, I mean, one of the things people probably think about is like, oh, I didn't realize that was a problem. Maybe I should buy less or keep longer, but um, those are hard habits to break for, for people. And so there are solutions that are needed um, to help out with that. I mean, what... As you as you talk to people who are in the industry, what and people are obviously like reaching out to you guys, like what does that conversation sound like with them? So a lot of them are the, the question usually goes, Great, you can do poly cotton. Wow, that's amazing. Um what about spandex and, and nylon? And there's <laughs> And I always stop them. I'm like, I just told you I could convert straw to gold. And you're like, can you do platinum? <laughs> That's the line I like to use because it's like, let me solve the biggest challenge right now. I get that a lot of stuff is blended with spandex, but you know, we'll get there. You know, doing blended textiles is a huge jump forward, you know, in terms of recycling technology anyway. So let's not complicate the picture. And then generally it's like, okay, you know, when can I get it? How fast can I get it? And will it be cheaper than the current fibers that I use? Which is always a funny question because I, I'm like, okay, so you want me to undercut the existing virgin pricing 
So how exactly am I supposed to fund this new technology exactly? So there are always questions there. And also, you know, it's an understanding around the dynamics. There's a lot of educating brands on the fact that one, it's going to take time to build facilities. This is not an overnight thing. Two is the fact that they're going to pay a premium for this because there's a massive shortfall in recycled content versus virgin and the demand is there. So why should, why would I sell my product at a discount or even at parity with Virgin? The supply demand dynamics just aren't there. Like if I put up a full scale facility, you know, we're talking about 200 tons per day as a first facility, that's 65,000 tons per year. That's going into an 80 million ton a year demand. Cause that's, you know, if you're displacing any cotton, if you're taking into account poly, all poly and you're taking into account man-made cellulosic, that's, you know, that's 80, 85 million tons of the 100 million tons right there. So if I'm feeding it into that market, I'm not moving the needle in that first facility. Yes, when I start getting through facility 10, 15, 20, then you would expect pricing to maybe normalize come down a bit but in the short to medium term the demand far strips the supply and will far strip the supply so which in which of my investors is going to allow me to you know say sure don't take as much money as you can make take less well, you're in a great position because you do have that demand. So you don't have to, I mean, you maybe get in that conversation, I guess, but you don't have to, there's no pressure on you to, to move forward if something that doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like. No, that is a, a, it is a strange market dynamic where we, you know, exactly that happens. The demand far strips the supply and will for a while. Having said that, you know, long-term, no solution is actually going to be implemented if it doesn't actually make if it doesn't actually make economic sense. Yeah. So that's one that of the takes time. That, well, it, it, it does. Here you get massive economies of scale. So where you start to get that equivalent pricing is as you start to big, build bigger and larger and more efficient facilities. And so, you know, the number one thing that you need to do here, and this is also an education thing with brands is, you need to, I need to make sure that that first facility is as low risk as possible because it makes it as easy to finance as possible. And that's important because the financing discussions themselves are one of the things that can delay the implementation of a solution, sometimes by years. So you really want to make that as easy as possible. And in fact, the brands can participate in this in a meaningful way by just offering to buy the product, right, when it is available. So if you are willing to write an offtake agreement where you're like, okay, I am willing to pay X and with this amount of premium for, the, for five years, once this facility is up and running, I will buy it as long as it meets spec. So there's no risk. It's got to meet spec, right, from that perspective. So there's no quality risk then I will buy it. That makes it a lot easier for me to have any discussions with any investors or bankers or anyone because I'm like, you want me to prove the demand? 
here is a contract. People are willing to sign up and buy this. Yeah. So low risk for the brands, but really helps them get a solution in place much faster. Yeah. What are some of the motivators uh, of these brands when they're reaching out? Is it consumer demand? Is it regulation? Is it ESG? Is it something else? Like what, is it all the above? Like what are the motivators to reach out and, and inquire about this? It is a combination. So regulation is definitely coming down the pike. You see, especially Europe is pushing very aggressively, zero textiles to landfill. They're starting to block incineration. You see it with the single-use plastic stuff, because if you think about it, textiles are single-use, well, not quite single-use, but you know what I mean? Like it's got a life and then it gets buried or incinerated. Um, so you're seeing a lot of extended producer responsibility stuff coming in, carbon taxes. So there's definitely a wave of regulatory pressure that's coming. And we're starting to see that in the US as well. Maine put in EPR uh, regulations. Um, you've seen them banning the curbside disposal of mattresses. You've seen California insisting on recycled content in all of their bottles. Um, so that puts pressure on because those bottles are currently going into textiles. So regulation definitely putting pressure on. Then you're definitely seeing customers starting to see sustainability as an order qualifier rather than an order winner. So they want to see that. It's a minimum thing that they want to see. And there are brands that have done very well from having sustainability at their core, like Patagonia. There, you know, but that isn't always the case. There are different parts of the population who are going to sacrifice if they need to for sustainability. And there are those who are going to pursue price, you know, in a lot of ways above all else, which is why you have some of these companies that are doing so insanely well with ultra fast fashion like Shein and, and things like that. Um, so there's the customer side. It's the regulatory side. Those are both um, things that are driving this. But then you, you also have this just sheer availability of materials. Because if you think about it, if you can recycle it, the materials, you have greater availability potentially of man-made cellulosics. You've got to look for potential things that give you those nice properties that you would get from a natural fiber like cotton and that you don't get from polyester because you want things that can also absorb water. So you, and you just fundamentally can't grow much more cotton at this point because there just isn't the land to do it on. You have to displace too much food crops. So if you, if you um, we're at an interesting point in time, if you think about where we are today, uh, with, with this type, with this topic, um, and textiles and and your role in it, and where you see down the road, and what is easy today versus what's hard, and like how would you frame it up? How would you explain to people and say, well, this is kind of where we're at in this point in time, and down the road, whatever year that happens to be, this is where I can see us getting to or where we need to be, 
And then, I mean, part of that is also like, what are the easy problems we can solve today? Or what are the hard ones that we really need to solve today? Like, how, how would you describe that to somebody who was trying to kind of get a bigger picture, like a zoomed out view of this? So <clears throat> often when I start talking, people get a bit panicked by how long it's going to take to put in some of these solutions. So what I often tell people is there are things you can do immediately and you can do personally. You can buy more carefully. You can buy secondhand clothing. You can take care of your clothing, right? And keep it in circulation longer. Those are all incredibly valuable things that you can do with your clothes right now. Stop thinking of clothes as disposable and think of them as a cherished and loved item. And more and more try and keep those items in circulation as long as possible. Then <clears throat> post that, that buys us time to put in place some of these solutions. I see ultimately we need to get to the point where material recovery from all spheres of industry need to be as easy as it is in the aluminium space. You know, when you recycle an aluminium soda can, it is converted back into a can within seven days. That's how quick the cycle is. And there's very little material recovery. The big thing that you need for all of these things, and one of the big enabling factors for any of this main, this large scale recycling of materials and recovery of materials is probably going to be what I was talking about earlier, which is things like fusion, because you need clean sources of energy to recover a lot of these molecules. Because, you know, with clothes, to a large degree, we have all the clothes we need to make all the clothes we'll ever need. So let's try and, you know, wear those same molecules for life in a way. That's an so interesting that's concept. Not... Yeah, that's an interesting concept just to wrap around is that all the clothes we'll ever need are the clothes we have right now. And yet that is not really the way things, uh, that's not the way the wheel turns uh, in any sort of way. I mean, you are going to have some process losses and you're going to have some recovery issues. Like you're not going to get a one for one, but we've made so many clothes that in theory, if we could just recycle all of the clothes that are out there, we'd be going for, you know, decades yeah. on old clothes. You guys are on a long-term mission. I mean, you, you're you making great strides, but there's still a long ways to go and uh, a big market that sounds like the people are asking you to to help build and fulfill i mean uh does that how does how does just personally on a personal note like how do you look at that is it intimidating to think about how big this could be and how long this could go or or do you love that aspect of it i mean i'm just curious how you approach that personally you, you know everyone i work with is largely in this because it's a we're a very purpose-driven company and we all want to make a measurable dent in the problem so core to the philosophy of our organization and part of what attracted me to this company is this idea of if you're going to get up in the morning and solve a challenge solve a big one you know so that keeps me going it, it, it there are definitely days where i'm like what have i put myself in for and it you have to have something like that because the more you work in sustainability and the more you work in these sorts of areas, 
the more you are exposed to the negative stories in the space and it's it can be pretty soul destroying so you've got to you've got to see that there is hope and you've got to build that hope you know it, it, otherwise you just you, you wouldn't be able to do this and no. the other no. thing i would say is having kids fundamentally changes your view as well because once you have children you you start to think much more about how do you ensure a better world for them and the more you know about sustainability the more you're like i need to do something or my children's quality of life will be materially destroyed compared to what i have experienced nobody wants their kids to be like your generation did this and you didn't do squat about it you know well I, you know i fear their condemnation less than just imagining how terrible it would be to grow up in a world without some of the things that we just take for granted like water <laughs> you know yeah. so it's it, it's so it's, true i I can relate to what you're saying and your perspective on that so much. I, I mean, I have to, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but I purposefully avoided educating myself on sustainability for some years because I thought uh, this is going to overwhelm me and I'm too, it'll, I'll become anxious about this and I'll never be able to not think about it. And it's going to like dominate my thinking. And I, I don't need that in my life. And uh, I would say I successfully avoided educating myself on it for a couple of years probably on that front. And then I realized like, I can't avoid this. I can't stick my head in the sand on this. And so I better figure out what it is and figure out what my role is in this and how I can do something about it. So I can at least know that I'm contributing to it, not just running away from it, which is what I was doing. And so that was my approach. And whenever I decided to make that flip, I did, I read everything I could on it started figuring out, all right, uh, I I'm a marketer and we're multipliers and what can we do to help multiply the message for people? So um, I think that helps like to your point of every day I'm waking up and I know I'm making my dent. And if everybody else does something similar, we'll be fine. That, that That's exactly it. You've got to, this is the fight we are in and you can't run from it because it, it involves somewhat, and I know it sounds dramatic, the survival of our species as we know it, because we are seeing a fundamental shift in the world we live in, and we need to address that or we will be just victims of it. Yep. So, yep. yes, I. anyone who doesn't think sustainability is their fight just isn't thinking about it carefully and just avoiding the issue. Yeah. So as part of your fight, what do you, when you look forward, however many years, whatever, I'm sure you have a forward looking view of where Cirque can go and what you guys can accomplish. What does that look like? Do you have, do you, can you picture something other than what it is today? Is there something, is there a view that you have in your mind that when you think about where we're going, like it, it becomes visual to you? What does that look like? So, <clears throat> For me, I will know that we've succeeded when everyone 
everywhere on the planet can walk into a store anywhere. And if they're buying clothes, it has a measurable amount of recyclable content in it. And, you know, you should be able to buy an item of clothing in an end of life, be able to drop it in a recycling bin and comes back, gets recycled, and those materials go out again. We need to move from an extraction economy to a recirculation economy. That's when I'll see success. That's awesome. Is there a timeline on that? Do you is there a time where you think we're not we're this far off from that type of vision? I mean, it can keep going, right? But is there a is anything that you'd forecast? So personally, we're pursuing what we call the 10, 10, 100. We're trying to recycle, you know, 10 billion garments, which would be 10% of the, you know, global production uh, of garments annually, which would be saving 100 million trees. That's our 10-year target. Um, that is a big goal in and of itself. But more broadly, I think realistically, considering you're trying to swing such a large industry, I would see you start to make really measurable dents. And I hate to say it where you're really bending the arc in like 2035. Yeah. I, it sounds far away, but it's not that far. <laughs> It'll be here before we know it. Because as I say, once you've rolled out one facility, it attracts all the capital and resources to build the second, third, and then you could start building them not one at a time, not in sequence, but you can have multiple projects being built at the same time. You can deploy the technologies much more rapidly. And that's when we start to really reap a lot of the, the major benefits. Yeah.